All right. Pardon? Oh, yes, yes. I knew I was forgetting something. Is uh, We've not uh, done this in a little bit, but uh, we'd like to, uh, all those who are members of the church, have a members meeting. That would be uh, Sunday evening, Easter Sunday, about 5.15 before the evening service. And uh, so we we'll encourage you all to be there uh, for that. And uh, uh, I can't think of a better time to have the Lord's Supper than on Easter Sunday. So we'll just do it then. And, of course, uh, I believe the Bible just simply says, as oft as ye do this. And uh, uh, I would uh, much, much prefer people saying, Pastor, when can we do this again than ever, ever taking a chance on getting used to it, on it just being mundane or a part or something that we just do. Uh, that, that That is something that we just need to really uh, uh, struggle against because everything we do, uh, just coming to church, singing hymns, uh, being in the services, everything we do can get routine. And uh, we don't want that to happen, and we certainly don't want that to happen with the Lord's Supper. We're going through a theme on Thursday nights of truth or imitation. And as we're trying to close this out, uh, the last lesson is going to be on love, which is really going to be a uh, uh, synopsis or a, uh, a, a survey of all of the lessons uh, that we deal with on this subject because everything that we do, uh, everything that we have between us and God has is connected to this word called love. Now, New York City is a city that promotes freedom, is it not? I mean... Uh, uh, freedom from uh, people come here from all over the world to be free from all of the rules and the regulations at home. And yet they end up almost marching in lockstep, don't they? Have you ever met anyone just trying desperately to be different? And, and how much they end up being uh, copying everything that is around them. And of course... Uh, we have a lot of people who strive to be free and they said the only way I can be free is not have any rules or regulations. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, uh, I know several of our uh, members here are from the Philippines and in the Philippines, they have almost no traffic laws. And I've heard stories about driving. In fact, uh, Brother Thompson once said, he said, I think you could be a cab driver in Manila. And I thought he was complimenting me until I found out what a cab driver in Manila was like. And I'm going, wow, what did I do? And, and, uh, uh, and yet, I'll tell you what, I, I like driving, if I have to choose a big city to drive in, I, I don't mind New York City. Because people follow the rules pretty much. How many of you have driven in Oklahoma City? Uh, you just never have any clue as to what the person in front of you or beside you or behind you is going to do. 
uh, because there are traffic regulations. Am I exaggerating, Jason? Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they know what the rules are, but they're really non-topical. You just do whatever you want, wherever you want to do it. If you want to turn a U-turn on across all four lanes, you just step on the brake and step on the gas and make it happen. Uh, and yet, people talk about all this freedom. Uh, my favorite is freedom of speech. Boy, I'll tell you what, they, they trumpet freedom of speech, do they not? I mean, everything you hear on the news media. Have you ever tried to disagree with someone who proposes to believe in freedom of speech? Uh, I remember early on, many years ago, I, I got a uh, letter from our congressional representative, Carolyn Maloney, and, and this was back uh, way before Obamacare ever became a reality. And, and, uh, and the letter was addressing the health care crisis in America. And, uh, uh, and so said, as a pastor, what are your opinions? And so I, I, I thought she was honest, and I actually wrote her. And, and I told her, I said, government is not the answer. And at that time, we were in what is called a, uh, basically a cooperative thing. A, a group of people came together, and they just literally paid each other's bills. I think our insurance premium for the whole family uh, was about $300 a month back then. And uh, I remember uh, having to have a uh, semi-major surgery in 2000. Uh, the bill was well over $10,000 and ended up out-of-pocket expenses of less than $1,000, paying $300 a month. Uh, I'll tell you what, I wish I could get that program today. Uh, I think right now we're paying almost $1,500 a month. And the coverage is actually more out-of-pocket expenses now, paying all this more money than, than uh, 18 years ago, only paying $300 a month. Now, could I ask you just to think a moment, which option gives us more freedom? Even though you can keep your own doctors, all of the lies with Obamacare... You see, the world promises freedom. But do they ever get it? Can they ever give it? Do you know that the, con- the Constitution of the, uh, of the Soviet Union actually guarantees the right of freedom of religion? It states that. Now, we have some people that usually attend our church used to live in the Soviet Union, behind the Iron Curtain in different countries. There was no religious freedom. You see, just because the world says something doesn't mean they're going to get it. I want us to think about this word freedom. What does it actually mean? Am I free to do whatever I want? Someone said, the freedom to stretch your arm ends where my face begins, right? 
Because you have freedom to stretch your arms, but you don't have freedom to punch me in the face. And we try to talk about all of these things. And, and I've preached several sermons on this subject. This is really what our founding fathers were talking about, true freedom, when they coined the phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, the pursuit of happiness is not pursuing what makes me happy. The pursuit of happiness is to have the freedom to determine how and where I'm going to make the society I live in a better place for myself and for my neighbors. You see, every once in a while you'll hear someone who says, I have the freedom to play my car stereo as loud as I want. How many of you have enjoyed that? Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes I remember one time I was asleep. It was about one o'clock in the morning. And somebody had one of them fancy little sports cars and pulled up right in front of the church. And the music was louder than I have ever played in my house out on the street. And uh, sitting there saying, is that the kind of freedom? That's what the world says is freedom. But that kind of freedom is not the kind of freedom that God wants to give us. And so I want us to start in John chapter 8, if we could. John chapter 8. And Jesus makes a statement here. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him... If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8, verse 33, as we read on, And they answered him, We be of Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And then he goes on to condemn their behavior And their desire not only to deprive Jesus of his freedom, but to deprive him of his very life, which was their basic intent. Now, as we look at these verses, Jesus makes a simple statement here. He says, if you commit sin, you're the servant of sin. Now, how many of you can remember something in your life where you did, you did a sin you committed that had consequences? And you had to keep serving that sin. How many of you have ever told a lie? And then somebody poked at your lie. And you had to tell another one to protect it. And you had to do this. And pretty soon you found out that you were so bound up that you couldn't open your mouth without telling another lie. And the worst thing is, People know when you're lying. They, they just really do. It's not hard to figure out most of the time. 
And so what we have to understand here is Jesus said, listen, if the Son shall make you free. How did Jesus make us free? Well, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, aren't we? Jesus made us free by dying on the cross. Now, we have a we have a, a court system, a judicial system here in the United States whereby you commit a crime and you're supposed to go to jail and you're supposed to serve and you're supposed to and they t- actually talk about paying your debt to commu- uh, to uh, to our our society and when you uh, finish paying that debt they give you $150 and a new change of clothes and they put you out on the street and you're free uh, the recidivism rate is fairly high, isn't it? Once you end up moving that direction, it's hard not to find yourself being pulled. And, and how, many, how many of our young people that are stuck on Rikers Island uh, will tell you the story? I didn't do it. My friends did it. I'm the one that took the blame. I don't know how many stories I've heard about that over the years. Well, if you sin, you're the servant of sin. And we just need to touch on on a truth. Jesus brought it forth in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to have to make a choice. You are going to serve either the Creator or the God of this world. The, the word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount was mammon. That's an old English word. It just simply means the, the world system. Getting what you can, canning what you get is one of the phrases the world loves to use. And uh, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 6 if we can. If you would turn there with me, and we really should take time to uh, go through this whole chapter, but we're, we're just going to uh, start here in uh, verse 7, as the first part is ta- uh, first six verses here is, is talking about the surrender of our life to Jesus Christ through faith. In verse 6, it says, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You see, we know no one, uh, no honest person has a problem with understanding what the Bible says when it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages. How many of you have already filed your taxes? Okay. Tax avoidance? Good. Tax evasion? Bad. Uh, you will get caught. Don't, don't do that. But if you can work things out to where you don't owe the tax legally and properly, I, I love the little tax deductions running around my house and seems every year or so another one runs away and, uh, uh, that that's not a good thing, but uh, we're still doing okay. Uh, it helps avoid taxes. And uh, so as we're, we're looking here is the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is 
death. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And you see, that's why every false religion tries to give you a formula of paying your debt to God. You pick the religion. The Eastern mystic religions, you, you're supposed to do good things to, uh, to make you have good karma and, and this karma. Have you ever, have, ever tried to have somebody explain karma? I'll tell you, if you really want to have some fun, just ask somebody to try to explain karma to you. Well, it's the natural result of the things that you do, but it's kind of predetermined. But, you know, you can affect... And say, oh, so you're really confused. You don't know what it is either, right? Uh, and and uh, most of them don't, have no idea. But it's supposed to control everything. Uh, you, you talk to the Catholics and, and they'll give you the seven sacraments of which you cannot do all of them because one of them is marriage and the other one is the priesthood or the uh, uh, becoming a nun where you, become, where you refuse to get married. So, uh, you know, it's, you can't participate in all seven, but you can do as many of them as you can. And if you're sprinkled when you're a baby and you get uh, the last rites before you die, uh, I had a guy one time said, listen, if you ever meet a Catholic that's dying, they believe that in the last rites they have direct access to, uh, to God and you can teach them how to get saved. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know what, I don't think we can use false religion to trick somebody into believing they're doing something that they don't want to do. That's not salvation. Salvation is a rejection of false religion embracing God in truth. Amen? And so we must be very, very careful. But this whole idea is, I'm the servant of sin. Sin always adds to sin. You learn to lose your temper. It's easier to lose it the next time, isn't it? It's easier to become into a habit of vent. Well, I just got to vent. Well, wait a minute. How about we get with God and try to get this thing solved so that other people don't have to pay for my discomfort? Amen? Um, there, the, 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 there's so many things that we could talk about, but there is a penalty, and the only way to escape that penalty is death. Verse 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall, that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Here's what Paul is trying to explain to the Romans is that the only way to escape the penalty of sin is death. Jesus died in our place. The fact that he died unto sin once means that he fulfilled the demands of the law, but the fact that he ever lives means that he can give life to us. 
And God is willing to reckon His death in our place. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sometimes we quote that verse, but we don't put it in its overall context of what it's talking about. It's talking about the true freedom that God gives the believer through faith. Freedom from sin, freedom from the natural results of sin, the judgment of God. We have freedom from sin. Freedom from the judgment we deserve because Jesus took it for us. This gives us freedom to love God. I'll tell you, people do so many things for quote-unquote love. And... When we finish this, the last sermon in the series will be on love, and it's going to have a lot of overlap of all the other messages. But if you're going to approach God, how are you going to approach God? Through faith. For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe what? That He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek Him. You see, if I come to God just to get something, is that love? Well, it's love of me because I want something. But it's not love of God. How many marriages are built on the fact that 
Uh, I've heard somebody, well, our marriage is 50-50. We, we each supply certain parts. And you're going to have a lousy marriage if it's 50-50. Marriage takes 100-100. It takes a total surrender of everything you are to the marriage. That's why the Bible says that the two are no longer two. They're one. Because they're not the same person. They've given up the things that they have in their life. And if we're going to come to God, guess what? Is God going to change himself to meet us? No, because then he would cease to be God. So therefore, we must change ourselves. We must allow ourselves to be changed so we can meet God. Amen? That's, that's what faith is. It's just simply saying, what I have is not acceptable. So God, I come to you just as I am. You know what? That sets me free from so many things. I'll tell you sometimes, I, as I sit and just ponder all of the things that have to be done at the Union Baptist Church in order to reopen that building... Uh, it's enough to press you to the border of madness uh, just because there's so many things. Every system in the building has got to be completely redone and some of the things we'll have to file for and other things we're allowed to repair on our own and, and it just really gets kind of crazy every once in a while and you just have to stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. I, I would really love it if someone just came in and handed them the keys and said, you fix it. The only problem is the Lord hasn't given us enough money to pay that bill. So we got to figure it out. But how many of you remember trying to do that with your life? Trying to make the decisions, trying to fix this, trying to make, do this, trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, uh, all, and yet, if you'll surrender to God, he'll take care of all those things. He'll figure out what, well, he doesn't figure anything out. He already knows how best your life could be invested in his kingdom, in his service. It's a surrender on our part to him. How does that happen? We love him because what? He first loved us. You see, I have to accept His love. And when I do, it allows me total freedom to love Him back. Because I'm no longer expecting things from God. I'm no longer arguing with, well, Lord, you know, you really need to fix this thing. You know what? God knows what needs to happen. Amen? I don't need to tell him about all the crazy things going on in American politics right now. He already knows. Now, should I pray for my president and my country? Every day. And when you listen to the news, pray for him more than once every day. Amen? 
Uh, there's, there's just a lot of things going on. And so much of this, we talk about wanting to love and to help our fellow man. You know, so many crazy, hurtful things are done trying to help other people. Whereas, if we'll just stop and get some of God's love first, and instead of trying to give them what we have, give them what God has, do you think that'd be a better way of doing it? Hello? You see, I promise you one thing. You're going to run out of you. It's going to happen. And when you run out of you, you talk about losing your freedom. Uh, you have lost your freedom because everything you're doing is out of bondage and, and, and just dragging yourself. I've got to do this if I'm... Well, wait a minute. True freedom is when I come to God and I'm set free from my sin. The penalty and the judgment has been paid for by the Jesus Christ. This gives me freedom. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 8 when we read it. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be what? Free indeed. And what is the number one accusation of the world against a church like ours? You guys are too strict. You have too many rules. It's just impossible. How am I supposed to live that way and be in the real world? I said, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. I, I like the way Ted Monsoor put it. He said, it's like little house on the prairie, Christianity. He said, here you are in this great big city and you're living just the way the Bible says. And you know, the world wants to make fun of us and they want to uh, uh, condemn us and, and all of these things. But you know what? I, I'm not paying my therapist $300 an hour. In fact, your therapist could do well to come and visit the church and hear the preaching of the gospel and get a few things straightened out. Amen? Uh, you see, I have total freedom to use my life to serve God. And if we understand that God is and that God is good, the greatest freedom I can enjoy is in His service. That's what the note is at the very bottom of the lesson. Now, we have a lot of fake freedom going on out there. Have you ever met somebody that's just totally free from all the rules and regulations of this world? They just do whatever they want, however they want it. I think they call them millennials. Um, uh, I'm just going to, to do what I want and I'm going to find myself. Uh, I don't really recommend this, but years ago, the story of a preacher, 
he was driving down the road, and this was back in the 50s or 60s when you could arguably pick up a hitchhiker and and not put your life in danger. And uh, so he was in the habit of doing this, and he would witness to people. And he picked up this young man, and he began to witness to him, and, and the young man began to... Uh, contradict the preacher and tell him that he just didn't really understand this. And he said, you know, he said, he said, uh, the thing that I just don't know, he says, I just don't know where I am. And the preacher, being an independent Baptist preacher, said, I can solve that for you. He slams on the brakes, pulls over to the side of the road, and he looks over at the guy and says, get out! The guy's like, okay. He says, You're here! Slams the door and drives off. Well, he solved the guy's problem. But you see, that wasn't the way he wanted his problem solved. He wanted someone to stroke his thought process and feel sorry for him and help him understand. No. What he needed was what he got. Because that fake freedom only leads to bondage. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. How many of you have met a child of the 60s? A child whose parents were smoking marijuana and enjoying Woodstock in when it was the original in the 60s. Now they've had children. And, and they've tried to raise those children in the light of all of the quote-unquote freedom that they have. How many of you met somebody like that? Do you know, that's why we have so many... Phobias and isms and schisms in our society today because uh, I think it was Rush Limbaugh put it this way. He said, our generation has never had to face the issues of World War II and some of these things. And so we have to invent issues to face. And that's why we have manias and phobias and all of the... That is our major problem. And and addiction and... Addiction is now a disease. Did you know that? And and so I guess you can catch it. Um, So stay out of the bars. Amen? Because you might catch an addiction if you go there. Uh, Wouldn't that make sense? But see, but see, our mayor has sent all the people that smoke out onto, our former mayor, out onto the sidewalk. So you might catch that addiction walking down the sidewalk where before it used to be locked up. In I hope you see I'm trying to have a little bit of fun with this thing, but you see how nonsensical this whole thing is? And how much bondage people bring on their lives. I feel for our soldiers in Vietnam, many other places in the world, our soldiers that are being sent all around the world today and having to see and do things that no man or woman ought to have to do. One story that just sticks in my head was there was a 
group of insurgents in Iraq. They were hiding behind the wall and they had an eight-year-old boy with them. And in the ensuing firefight, they had dropped their RPG and our soldiers had it covered. Uh, They were in a position where if one of them came out from behind the barrier and picked up the weapon and tried to fire at them, they would be shot. And so here's what the brave insurgents did was they sent a little boy to do it. If he dragged the weapon behind the wall, they would then have the ability to kill the entire squad and there's nothing they could do about it. What do you do? You wonder why they have problems in their mind. No one should have to make that decision. That kind of fighting is not fighting. We call it cowardice. But that is a virtue to these people. Because they're going to keep fighting until... Every man, woman, and child, including themselves, is either dead or masters of the world. One of the two. Now, you ask me, you tell me, which one is freedom? We believe in the freedom to believe whatever you want, no matter how crazy it is. But you don't have the freedom to kill indiscriminately. Because that's not freedom. The power of life and death belongs to God. And yet, what is their greatest freedom? They're afraid of losing the right to murder an unborn baby. I believe the count is now in America of over 55 million unborn children since 1973. It's closing in on 60 if if we haven't already passed it. How many New York cities is that? Over seven New York cities would be filled with life today if it weren't for abortion. Stop and think about that. And then all of the guilt... They have a special division of psychology that tries to help women deal with everything they experience after the abortion. That's not freedom, my friend. That's slavery. You see, the world... Here's, here's what the Bible says. Let's go to Second Peter. We'll try to finish on time here. Two more verses, Second, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18, says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. 
For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now, people love to go to this passage and say, see, you can lose your salvation. But look at verse 22, would you? It says, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The last time I checked in the Bible, when you get saved, you become a sheep under the protection of the Good Shepherd. But these are still dogs and pigs running with the sheep. That doesn't go forever. That doesn't happen very long. There's going to be discord there and they're going to go back to where they were. And we need to be careful. Look at Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. As Paul uh, tries to help understand here the job of the pastor. And I must say that this is the darkest chapter in being a pastor. It says, verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if preventure... If God, preventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. You see what the Bible says there? It says that when we refuse the way of righteousness, we put ourselves... I had a fellow call, uh, when was it, Sunday? It was either last Thursday night or Sunday afternoon. And uh, I think it was Thursday, last Thursday, just before service. And he said, uh, he says, uh, do, you, do you have prayer services? And I said, well, yes, we have a prayer meeting on Sunday night. He said, do you pray for people? I said, we have quite a list of people we pray for. He says, will you pray for me? And I said, well, yes, we, we would pray for He says, i got demonic activity going on. I'm going, oh, no, here we go. And, uh, and so I, I told him, I said, listen, I said, the way you get rid of the, uh, the devil's influence in your life is by serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, I know that. But, but I got demons in my bed and they bite me like little bugs. And I'm sitting here going, uh, you may have little bugs in your bed that are biting you. And, and it may hurt, but that's not demons. Uh, that's called, I didn't do this, but I, I wonder, those are called bed bugs. Um, and you can get rid of those. Uh, there are chemicals and, and a good hot dryer and different things will we'll take care. That's not demons. I said, the only thing I can tell you, sir, is you need to come to church. He said, but I want to be anointed with oil. And I want, I said, well, wait a minute. I said, here's what we do. 
I said, you need to understand something. I said, in, in the New Testament, when it was being written, what was one of the best medicines? They, oh, yeah, oil was there. They didn't have a lot of He knew this. I said, you see, there's nothing sinful about seeking medical care. But I don't put my trust in medical care. And one of the reasons why we don't anoint with oil and do all of those things is because we don't want your attention to be drawn to the things. We want your attention to be on the God we pray to. You see, prayer is not a ritual that I go through. It's approaching a holy God, the creator of the universe, who knows everything and keeps track of everything. Aren't you glad God never gets worn out putting up with us? Isn't that a wonderful thought? It says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I don't know any greater freedom than not being bound with all of these things that the world calls normal. I'm not carrying some big bucket of guilt around because Jesus paid for every sin that I've ever sinned and ever will sin on the cross. Now, if that attitude gives me... uh, a desire to just go out and do whatever I want, then Bible says that I've perverted the Scriptures. But if I ever think I've come to a point where I've reached sinless perfection here on earth, well, guess what? I'm perverting the Scriptures as well, aren't I? You see, we need to walk with the Savior. We need to have that freedom. And the greatest freedom that I can experience is being able to serve the Creator in a way that He deems acceptable and good. See, God's not impressed with what goes on up here. Neither should you be. Unfortunately, I was in a meeting and here late, and as my wife and I were driving home, I said, you know, that's the perfect, that preacher was the perfect illustration of what I always refer to as the little baby syndrome, as they look there and they're inspired by their own little hand movement. And sometimes we have to be careful as pastors because we'll get so inspired by our sermons that we'll Wow, people really be impressed with this. That's that's not preaching. Here's what preaching is. When I'm all done, say, all he did was tell me what the Bible said. That's preaching. And how we're going to obey it. And how we do this. Is coming to God through faith and letting Him determine how we serve Him. And that gives me freedom. I'm not comparing myself to other people. 
I'm not having a list of things that I'm trying to achieve so that I can reach a certain level of spirituality. I'm not driven by my accomplishments. I am moved by a love relationship with God. You can't have any more freedom than that. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come.